Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast on mental health for folks of color. I'm your host, John Zell Anderson, licensed professional counselor. I'm the owner of Panoramic Counseling, where I specialize in treating teens and young adults in Richmond, Virginia, and throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia through online counseling. Let's get into the show. This episode is part of a summer book club that I'm hosting on this podcast. In efforts to read and write more on topics related to race and injustice, I decided to log out of my Instagram account for the summer, and I'm instead focusing my time and energy here. Thanks for joining me on this journey. Thanks for joining me for part two on this book review of Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. In the first episode, I talked about the context of apartheid in South Africa as the author shares about his experiences growing up as a biracial person in apartheid South Africa, hence the name of the book, Born a Crime, because it was against the law for racists to mix. For this episode, I'm going to focus on some of the insights that I got from the book with regards to racism, colorism, but also how language is a way to either oppress or to break barriers, and just some examples of how the book's hero is Trevor Noah's mom, Patricia, and how through her words and actions, she breaks a lot of stereotypes. And she was doing this before apartheid fell, and when a lot of her ideas and ways of doing things very well could have landed her in jail. So uh, I'm going to start off with a quote. As a kid, I understood that people were different colors, but in my head, white and black and brown were like types of chocolate. Dad was white chocolate, mom was the dark chocolate, and I was the milk chocolate, but we were all just chocolate. I didn't know any of it had anything to do with race. I didn't know what race was. My mother never referred to my dad as white or to me as mixed. So when the other kids in Soweto called me white, even though I was light brown, I just thought they had their colors mixed up. Ah, yes, my friend, you've confused aqua with turquoise. I can see how you made that mistake. You're not the first. And so in another part of the book, he says, quote, a shared language says we're the same. A language barrier says we're different. The architects of apartheid understood this. Part of the effort to divide black people was to make sure we were separated, not just physically, but by language as well. In the Bantu schools, children were only taught in their home language. Zulu kids learned in Zulu. Swana kids learned in Swana. Because of this, we'd fall into the trap the government had set for us and fight among ourselves, believing that we were different. The great thing about language is that you can just as easily use it to do the opposite, convince people that they are the same. Racism teaches us that we are different because of the color of our skin. But because racism is stupid, it's easily tricked. If you're racist and you meet someone who doesn't look like you, the fact that he can't speak like you reinforces your racist preconceptions. A brilliant scientist can come over the border from Mexico to live in America, but if he speaks in broken English, people say, 
eh, I don't trust this guy, but he's a scientist. However, if the person who doesn't look like you speaks like you, your brain short circuits because your racism program has none of those instructions in the code. The racism code says if he doesn't look like me, he isn't like me. But the language code says if he speaks like me, he is like me? Something is off here. End quote. I've said this before, but I like that uh, Trevor Noah uses humor as he tackles these very complex issues. And so one of the ways that Trevor Noah found a way to adapt to various environments in apartheid South Africa was through the use of language. So while the designers of apartheid made it their effort to keep languages separate, keep, you know, black people in separate places than white people and from colored people, which if you remember, that means mixed. He was able to use language to bridge those separations. So here's a quote. I soon learned that the quickest way to bridge the race gap was through language. Soweto was a melting pot families from different tribes and homelands. Most kids in the township spoke only their home language, but I learned several languages because I grew up in a house where there was no option but to learn them. My mom made sure English was the first language I spoke. If you're black in South Africa, speaking English is the one thing that can give you a leg up. English is a language of money. English comprehension is equated with intelligence. If you're looking for a job, English is the difference between getting the job or staying unemployed. Language became a tool that served me my whole life. One day, as a young man, I was walking down the street, and a group of Zulu guys was walking behind me, closing in on me, and I could hear them talking to one another about how they were going to mug me. Let's get this white guy. You go to his left, and I'll come up behind him. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't run, so I just spun around real quick and said, Yo, guys, why don't we just mug someone together? I'm ready. Let's do it. They looked shocked for a moment, and then they started laughing. Oh, sorry, dude. We thought you were something else. We weren't trying to take anything from you. We were trying to steal from white people. Have a good day, man. They were ready to do violent harm to me until they felt we were part of the same tribe and then we were cool. That, and so many other small incidents in my life, made me realize that language, even more than color, defines who you are to people. I became a chameleon. My color didn't change, but I could change your perception of my color. If you spoke to me in Zulu, I replied to you in Zulu. If you spoke to me in Swana, I replied to you in Swana. Maybe I didn't look like you, but if I spoke like you, I was you, end quote. As I've described before, um, Trevor's mom, Patricia, is a very remarkable person. And so on these topics and differences related to race and language and stuff like that, his mom was a great model to break down barriers between what's perceived as different types of people. And so here's one example in the townships, you don't see segregation because everyone is black. In the white world, anytime my mother took me to a white church, we were the only black people there. 
and my mom didn't separate herself from anyone. She didn't care. She'd go right up and sit with the white people. In South Africa back then, it wasn't common to find a white person or a colored person who spoke African languages. During apartheid, white people were always taught that those languages were beneath them. So the fact that I did speak African languages immediately endeared me to the black kids. How come you speak our languages, they asked. Because I'm black, I said, like you. You're not black. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Have you seen yourself? They were confused at first. Because of my color, they thought I was a colored person. But speaking the same languages meant that I belonged to their tribe. It just took them a moment to figure it out. It took me a moment too. End quote. There is a version of the book that's written for young readers. And that makes me very happy because I think if I would have been able to see someone like me in a book growing up, it would have provided some clarity and context for how to perceive myself in the world. We're not born with the concept of race. It's something that's taught. And so I like to think that from people you know, sharing stories about their experiences and even having the stuff accessible to younger readers too, that through storytelling and these types of conversations that we can have, the next generation can deal with these issues differently and not perpetuate them for generations and generations to come. In part one, I talked about the complexity of apartheid and how it was political, it was cultural, it was across the board separation of people, and it was, it got very violent too. So in apartheid South Africa, Trevor talks about how as apartheid was falling, schools were becoming more integrated racism loomed because when something is systemic we've been hearing a lot about systemic racism it's it's deeply ingrained it's something that is passed down through generations but it's also something that permeates into all of the little facets so when you when something shifts or changes it's still you still have the remnants so you almost have to start from the ground up to make lasting change. The section I'm about to share is Trevor's experience in a private school that he got to attend. And while the school had kids of all backgrounds, you'll kind of see how that systemic racism played a role there. He was like talking with some kids uh, on the playground and quote, hey, how come I don't see you guys in any of my classes? It turned out they were in the B classes, which also happened to be the black classes. That same afternoon, I went back to the A classes, and by the end of the day, I realized that they weren't for me. Suddenly, I knew who my people were, and I wanted to be with them. I went to see the school counselor. I'd like to switch over, I told her. I'd like to go to the B classes. She was confused. Oh no, she said. I don't think you want to do that. Why not? Because those kids are, you know, no, I don't know. What do you mean? Look, she said, you're a smart kid. You don't want to be in that class. 
But aren't the classes the same? English is English. Math is math. Yeah, but that class is... Those kids are going to hold you back. You want to be in the smart class. But surely there must be some smart kids in the B class. No, there aren't. But all my friends are there. You don't want to be friends with those kids. Yes, I do. We went back and forth. Finally, she gave me a stern warning. You do realize the effect this will have on your future? You do understand what you're giving up? This will impact the opportunities you'll have open to you for the rest of your life. I'll take that chance. I moved to the B classes with the black kids. I decided I'd rather be held back with people I liked than to move ahead with people I didn't know. End quote. And to continue on with how there was intention with trying to place limits on the education of the races of people that were perceived as inferior to white, very similar to what happened in the United States with, quote, separate but equal. And so here's an example that he gives, quote, the only way to make apartheid work, therefore, was to cripple the black mind. Under apartheid, the government built what became known as Bantu schools. Bantu schools taught no science, no history, no civics. They taught metrics and agriculture, how to count potatoes, how to pave roads, chop wood, till the soil. It does not serve the Bantu to learn history and science because he is primitive, the government said. This will only mislead them, showing him pastures in which he is not allowed to graze. To their credit, they were simply being honest. Why educate a slave? Why teach someone Latin when his only purpose is to dig holes in the ground? End quote. It makes me think of the education system in the United States and how, based on the neighborhood that you live in and how taxes are distributed. You can be in the same town but receive a very different education. I've seen this a lot growing up and also when I almost became a teacher because I have a minor in uh, education, um, I did some internships and being able to see how education can look very different just depending on what neighborhood you're in. But also as a therapist, you know, working with clients from all over really the state of Virginia asking questions about, you know, what is your school like? And the differences in education and opportunities and access to resources vary so differently in one of the wealthiest nations in the world. And as I I see that, it's, of course, heartbreaking. But as I'm continuing on this journey of understanding systemic racism and how it plays out in our society, I'm not very surprised. So I kind of just wanted to comment on that. I really like the emphasis that Trevor's mom, Patricia, put on a sense of belonging. So part of her motivation to go through the daring task of having a mixed-race child in apartheid was to break the mold of things that she felt were unfair and didn't make sense. And so here's a quote. 
My mother used to tell me, I chose to have you because I wanted something to love and something that would love me unconditionally in return. I was a product of her search for belonging. She never felt like she belonged anywhere. She didn't belong to her mother, didn't belong to her father, didn't belong with her siblings. She grew up with nothing and wanted something to call her own. Trevor goes on to talk about how in raising him, the mom tried very intentionally to break stereotypes, choosing to teach him things that weren't expected for people that look like them. So they went on to say, My mother took me places black people never went. She refused to be bound by ridiculous ideas of what black people couldn't or shouldn't do. She'd take me to the ice rink to go skating. Johannesburg used to have this epic drive-in movie theater, Top Star Drive-In, on top of a massive mine dump outside the city. She'd take me to see movies there. We'd get snacks, hang the speaker on our car window. Top Star had a 360-degree view of the city. Up there, I could see for miles in every direction. I felt like I was on top of the world. My mom raised me as if there were no limitations on where I could go or what I could do. When I look back, I realize she raised me like a white kid. Not white culturally, but in the sense of believing that the world was my oyster, that I should speak up for myself, that my ideas and thoughts and decisions mattered. We tell people to follow their dreams, but you can only dream of what you can imagine, and depending on where you're from, your imagination can be quite limited, end quote. I really appreciate the message that Patricia Noah had instilled in her son that you need to have access and you need to see that there is more in this world beyond the limited scope of what expectations there might be of you. And as a parent myself, I know I... I'm going to instill this in my daughter. I grew up biracial, but only with the Caucasian side. But there was no cultural sensitivity. There was no encouragement or, you know, fostering of me embracing my identity. I began this journey in my 20s of really starting to understand who I am, what it means to be biracial, what it means to be black. Uh, what it means to be half African. And so I've recommended this book to a lot of my clients who are biracial, but I've also recommended it to clients I work with who are immigrants uh, from the Middle East, uh, India, anybody who's ever felt like they don't fit in or that society has somehow tried to tell them that they don't fit in. This book definitely has a lesson or two or ten to teach and to normalize someone's experience. And that's why I love books so much, y'all. So with that being said, I hope that you've enjoyed this review. Stay tuned for the next book that I'll be reviewing in the Summer Book Club series. It is in honor of Pride Month, I'm going to be reading a book by Precious Brady Davis. It's called I Have Always Been Me. 
and it is a memoir of a African-American trans woman. And I'm, I'm really excited to dive into this book shortly after I finish recording this episode, actually, and sharing uh, some of the insights that I gained from that with you. So definitely stay tuned. But until then, take care. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, it's free. They offer creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Did I mention that you can make money from your podcast no matter the size of your following? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance.